0: And turn them open to the book of Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk, and we will continue to look at the this small book from this seventh century prophet, a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah. They both were prophesying during the same period of time in the southern kingdom. Jeremiah focuses, seems to focus on the first table of God's law and how God's people have violated that first table of the law. You know, those first four commandments Habakkuk seems to focus on the second half of those commandments and bring out the violence and the injustice that he is witnessing and both the first table of the law and the second table of the law are displeasing in God's sight. No. And it's interesting, beloved, and we should never miss this no. point. Men that do not honor God and respect God no. will not be men who typically honor other men. You've got to remember that. There's a correlation between men who hate God and men who hate people. To say you, that's why why the apostle John could say, how can you say you love God when you don't love your brother? You see what John did there. John understands the completeness of believing and holding to and walking in the environment of that moral commandments. Those ten commandments, the summation of God's moral law. That men who love God and want to bow to Him and submit to Him will be the brother and sister that loves their neighbor. It's an hypocrisy to claim one and not the other. It's hypocritical. And we want to avoid that, and one way we can avoid that is to study God's Word, and particularly in the days that we are living in, to study books like Habakkuk. So take your Bibles, and as you've opened up there, let's look at chapter 1. And I am going to focus on verse 12. If you would stand with me, in honor for the Lord, in honor of His Word. Learn to honor that which is honorable. And his word is honorable. Let me read verse 12. And then we'll ask God's blessing upon us. The scriptures say in the book of Habakkuk, verse 12, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge. And you, O rock, have established them to correct. Let's pray. Now, Father, these words, these words should enrich and encourage the soul of every believer. For in these words, we are confronted with the doctrine of who you are. And it should encourage us. Lord, teach us. Reveal to us. Show us, O oh God, your glory. Help us to cling and to hold to these truths during uncertain times and days. And We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, beloved, verse 12 has a context to it, and it's those... 11 verses that come before that so let's look at these first four verses let's sort of remind ourselves of what we are uh, dealing with the prophet habakkuk is the, uh, the book of habakkuk is an indictment it's it's god's vindic it's god's indictment to his people judah the southern kingdom the days of warning are past God had sent many teachers to the southern kingdom as he did the northern kingdom before they were taken into captivity. He had sent many prophets to teach and to warn them of their immorality and of their unethical dealings with one another. He had sent many prophets among them to teach them how to serve, why they should serve only him as God. Why they should be careful of how they speak and not be guilty of blasphemous statements against God. How they should honor the Lord's day and worship Him and come before Him with thanksgiving and these privileges. Habakkuk writes and he talks about the schism, the violence, the injustice that he sees that's run rampant in the land. And those days of warning are over, and now God is writing, He has has written this indictment through the prophet, and the prophet now is having to deal with this indictment. And he's struggling with it. the prophet calls out, and he cries out to God, why are you... So patient with the sinful people, why haven 't you come and already dealt with them? Why do I have to keep witnessing and seeing these things? It breaks my heart. it just it just destroys the the life in me to watch my own brethren, brothers and sisters consume each other and Now, brothers and sisters i 'm going to tell you something. When a man of God stands in the pulpit, when he stands in the in the in the behind this sacred desk, he has to preach the word of God. And God's servant will always bear a burden. God's ministers will always bear a heavy load, particularly in sinful days. They're not the greatest people to be around. They carry a heavy load. That's why Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. He spent 50 years preaching the gospel. and No one listened. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he was called into service by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, Jesus let him know clearly and plainly that his life was going to be one of great Hardship. going to be a life of ease and prosperity. Paul wasn't going to fly to and fro from every nation in private jets and and wear thousand dollar suits and all of these things and stay in plush palaces every night. No, Paul was going to suffer. He was going to bear the brunt of preaching to a people that really didn't want to hear, but yet God was going to bless his preaching and thousands would come to Christ. Due to his ministry. It's no different today. In fact, I don't know how a minister in this environment that we are experiencing right now could preach on anything else but what's going on. And how we as God's people should live in it, right? We all have these questions, don't we? We're all wondering, how do we live together? How do we walk together? What am I to say? What am I to do? What's God require of me? I mean, let's start there. Then we can talk about what other people require of us. But let's start with what God requires of us first. Amen? Amen. Habakkuk understands God is sovereign. He's not struggling with the doctrine of God's sovereignty. He's struggling with the application of God's sovereignty. We know God is sovereign, right? You know this. There is not an ounce in your body, in your head, in your conscience that does not believe that God who created everything by the word of His mouth is not sovereign over what He created. We know this to be true. But where we struggle is the application of that sovereignty in everyday life. That's where we struggle. That's where we're challenged, right? That's where Habakkuk is being challenged. Lord, I know you're almighty, all-powerful, all-sovereign. I know you're all-wise. But, but, the, but, but the Chaldeans? Babylonians? Do you know how mean they are? You know how vicious they are? You know how godless they are. Of course, he's not saying that, thinking God doesn't know. He's he's what is he doing? He's burdening, he's unburdening his chest. He's unburdening his heart. Lord, help me with these things. We should never question God's wisdom. We should never question. Whether or not God is righteous in all of his dealings with men. We should never question those things. And when we do, we have sinned. When we we question God's wisdom. When we question his righteousness. When we question his, his actions of what he calls just. Brothers and sisters, listen. You sin against God. And you have to repent of it. Do not look in the mirror and justify yourself by saying, well, I mean, what else could I have done? Whoa. Well, first of all, you could have studied Holy Scripture and conformed your thinking to that. No excuse. I'm not giving anybody a way out here this morning. You've got Bibles on your phones. You've got Bibles on your iPads. You've got Bibles on your computer. You've got Bibles in your laps, on your calendars, on your refrigerators. And you don't know your Bible. We are a nation that's full of the word of God. Yet we don't know the word of God. And God is teaching us that. He's showing us. We don't know scripture. Because we are being led by the mob. We are being led by the emotionalism. We're being led down all these different avenues and ideologies. And little gods. Without first asking the question, what does God say about this in his holy word? This is the scenario. This is the situation we find ourselves in. Look at verse 5 and 11. This is what God's response is to Habakkuk. I'm going to read it for context and then we're going to get into verse 12. Look among the nations. This is what God is saying to Habakkuk. Observe, be astonished, wonder. Now that's, that's a term in Hebrew of horror. Because I am doing something in your days. And you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldean, Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces move forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. And then they will sweep through the, they will sweep through like the wind and pass on and they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. We see in these verses a perfect description of humanism. Secularism. What is the essence of humanism? You listen to me college students. The essence of humanism is that man in and of himself has all the answers he will ever need. He is the source of all that is good. That man is the essence of everything. It begins with man and ends with man. That's humanism. And that is rampant in American education. These are humanists, these are secularists, these are people, look, they are so arrogant and prideful, they make their own gods according to their own image. They they possess a strength and a fierceness that puts others at bay. They possess a a, a calculated military uh, strategy that makes other nations fearful of them. They're brilliant in combat. They, They are educated in violence. They are masters of subjection. They know how. To capture nations. They're great at it. And they believe that they are. The sum of everything. Of all that is good. These verses describe. Many of the nations on the earth today. That's why I always cringed. Under this idea. That, that we really don't need God we can overcome. We've got we've got the scientists, we've got the the professors, and we've got the teachers, and we've got all of these things, and 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 through their ingenuity and creativity and leadership, we shall overcome and prevail. Well where's God in that? Isn't it God who gives true creativity? Isn't it God who gives true liberty and peace? Isn't it God who blesses man with true knowledge and understanding and wisdom? Isn't it God that blesses the work of men's hands that they could leave their home and go out and work and labor and come back with the satisfaction of knowing they have done something in their hands, worked in the, as, as the image of God they are, and been satisfied with it? And not looking out and envying over what somebody else has. The 10th commandment says, do not covet your neighbor's house. Or his wife. Or her husband. His animals. Stop coveting. Stop being concerned about what others think and focus on what God thinks. And these words that are added at the end of verse 11 are there to give us some sense of security. They will be held accountable. Well, thank God. The, thank God, right? As a believer, the guilty will be held accountable. Now, when? That's in God's timing, right? How? That's in God's prerogative, right? But they will be held accountable. Now, verse 12. Verse 12 is an interesting verse, and I've decided to focus solely on verse 12 this morning because I see it as a pivotal, a pivotal verse. And, and to help us sort of encapsulate what, we, what has come before and what we're about to get into. But I, before, before we get into the three truths of verse 12, listen to me, brothers and sisters, and I want you to hear me clearly. Just as Habakkuk was dealing with the three breakdowns, or the three institutional breakdowns that had caused God to rise up in judgment. The breakdown of the family. The breakdown of the civil magistrate. The kings were wicked. And the breakdown of the church. The priests were corrupt. It wasn't about teaching people God's law and teaching people how to walk with God and and encouraging people to repent of their sins and embrace Jesus Christ. It was about ease and comfort. It was about personal prosperity. It was about almost having that that movie star uh, persona as being the priest. And all they were concerned about were themselves. And that's what Jeremiah indicts them with. You shepherds have led my sheep astray. And I'm coming to get you. I'm coming against you. The breakdown of those three institutions, brothers and sisters, this is exactly the breakdown of our own nation. The home. The civil magistrate. And the church. When those three institutions crumble, what ensues? Chaos. Chaos. Everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. Everybody becomes their own authority figure in God. Everybody becomes their own source of truth. Everybody, listen, what do we have? We have the redefining of justice. Yeah. We have the redefining on what is the ultimate sin. See? We have redefining on words that are acceptable and words that are not acceptable. Not according to God. Not according to His Word. Because He's already told us that you better be careful how you speak my name. Hey, but people don't care about that. People will say, "God bless you at the beginning of the sentence, and by the end of the sentence, they've done blasphemed God and blasphemed everything God cares about, and be applauded for saying it. That's a breakdown of the church. If the church of Jesus Christ is to be salt and light, what happens when that light is covered over? What happens when men in darkness cannot see the light to guide them? They're lost. What happens when families who are searching for answers cannot find the light? They grope in darkness. They stumble over themselves. They fall over themselves. Let me give you an example of what I mean by what it means to grope. You know, the groping in darkness is a very vicious kind of imagery. Now, I want you to understand, have you ever been in a place so dark you could not see your hand in front of your face? Scary. I was in a cave... One of the largest cave systems in the nation is down in South Georgia. Some friends, me, and some friends of mine decided to go down and explore this cave. And it's a cave system. It's one of some of the largest bat environment. In actually, can see it from a satellite from outer space. And we were down in these caves, and these caves change when it rains. It, sand fills up some, some of these uh, accesses and uh, holes in the ground, and it uncovers others. Well, we got down into this cave system and there was a big lake down there. And we heard something. Now, it's, it's pitch black. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about scary black. You cannot, you could have somebody right here and you could not see them. And we heard somebody go, hell. Help. And we said, whoa, 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 whoa. Do you hear that? And we I, I hear somebody. We started making our way over there. And there was two guys that had been left down there. They were with some other people. And they were drinking. And they got down in that cave and they got lost. And they run out of flashlights. And when I shined the light on them, they were clawed up, bleeding, clothes ripped almost off of them where they had been falling off of these cliffs that are down underground, the falling into the water. They couldn't see. You are groping. You, 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 I want you to understand the life-threatening situation they were in, and by God's grace, we happened to come upon them. The problem was there was no car outside the entrance. Their friends left them left them for good. That's a whole other story. But brothers and sisters, what I'm telling you about where there's no light, there's only groping in darkness. The church is to be the light. That men and families and nations can look at. Uh, let, me, let me just. Where are the nations to get its light? Where are the nation? Where's the magistrate to learn what morality is acceptable from the church? Now the church isn't over the state, but the church works in tandem with the state to establish right morality and ethics. They are distinct but yet should work together for the same glorious end which is to glorify God. So that all men can enjoy Him. What happens when the church is no longer delight? Families become idolaters. Because you're going to believe something. You're going to hold to something. (laughs) Right brother? You're going to hold to something. You're going to, and you're going to hold to that which you think gives you the most prosperity and security. You know why? Because we all want peace. We all want to be prosperous. And I don't mean, I'm not talking about Bill Gates wealthy. I'm talking about we all want to see the fruit of our hands bear some type of, of satisfaction, right? That we can have a level of living that bears out the level of our commitment and hard work. Is there anything wrong with that? No. When God created everything, what did he say? It's good. And when he created man on the last day, he said, it's very good. And there's nothing wrong with laboring and thinking, you know what? This is good by God's strength and grace. Look what he's allowed me to accomplish by the labor of my mind and my hands. I'm satisfied. Because not all wealth is money. You don't have that light and that salt. You don't have that beacon and you don't have that that declaration to to herald and to call all men to have faith and bow a knee and to believe in God in Christ and to submit to Jesus Christ. If you don't have that message, people grope in darkness and they cling to anything that they think will give them liberty and happiness and peace. But you know what that ends up being in the end? Tyranny. Both spiritual, because it's a lie, and both physical, because, well, men are tyrants. Men are tyrants. Women are tyrants, too. I don't care if women mayors or men mayors, doesn't matter. Tyrants. Why? Because they all love power. Power is the name of the political game. And there is only one chief power. And who is it? We all know it, don't we? The breakdown of these institutions where there's three truths, there's three doctrines in verse 12 that I'm going to bring to your attention this morning as we bring this message to a close. And I don't intend to draw this out because I want you to focus on these three things. Number one, God's provision. Look at verse 12. Notice Habakkuk's confession. You... Are, are, are you not from everlasting? Everlasting. Now, that word he uses for everlasting is a very interesting word. It's the same word in which we get uh, the Hebrew, uh, the word east comes from. The, the, the east. Now, he's not saying God's eternal, that God has neither beginning nor end. He's saying, God, you're everlasting. In the ancient days, maps were orientated with east being up, not north. Because maps were orientated from a religious perspective, not a geographical perspective. And by the map being oriented to the east, it was signifying that God was the source of all that is good. That's what Habakkuk is saying here. God is everlasting. God is the source. He's the provision of God's people. He's the one in by which all things that we, we want, we, we long for, and we desire come from Him. He's everlasting. For example, when you go back to the book of Genesis. Go do a study on the word east. And what you're going to find out is that the garden was in the east of Eden. Okay? Just carrying the idea that is, in the the ancient eastern mind, facing east was not a designation. It was a source. Facing east was an acknowledgement that as I go west... As I populate the earth, why? As we leave the garden, as we leave, look. If 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 the if the garden is in the east of of Eden, where were they going to go populate the garden, the 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 Eden? They were going to go west. Well, being east is a signification that the source of all that I'm going to use to bring this into conformity to the creator who created it is in the east. And I go west, recognized, sort of like walking backwards. It's a strange concept to us because we think the way we face is our designation, but that's not the eastern mindset. The eastern mindset is we face east because God is the source of all that we long for. Now, I want you to think about that. Where's the source of your happiness? Is it in your IRS check? Is it in your refund? Is that what really makes you happy? I want you to think about all those things that you say that you confess of being happy about. And I want to ask you, where is God in all of it? Where's the source of the happiness? Where's the source of this liberty that's in debate right now? Where's the source of it? Will it be in the institution of men? Will it be in the creation of a mob? Will it be in the creation of an autonomous state called Chaz? Will it be in these things that men take great pleasure and delight in, but ultimately mean nothing? Because they do not have the source of God. And not just any God. Because men create gods and serve them all the time. We're talking about the God of Holy Scripture. There is a provision that is being recognized here. In order for us to have doubts and fears and anxieties dispelled we must understand where is our provision it's in God and that's what the confession here you are you not from everlasting are you not the God who provides all things we need he's talking about the righteous are you not the one who is the great provider? We have a you know many psalms, right, that speak to this, but the most famous of all the psalms of provision is Psalm 23. Right? Let's put our eyes on Psalm 23 quickly. Because there's a connection that I I think you'll see it when we read it, and I want you to apply it to Habakkuk. Look at Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Now look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now I'm going to stop there for the sake of time. Do you not see the connection? Though in the darkest times, the most perilous of times, where's your comfort? Where's the source of the things that you're going to put your comfort in? It better not be in the institutions of men. It better not be that. It better be in God who is everlasting. The God of the East. He's. he's, Think about the sun rising up in the east. That's the picture. Sun rising up in the east and gets to the. To the pinnacle of the day and the bright and shining the zenith of that, that the, the sun and where does it sit in the west and that's the that's the whole what we have this provision of God who's giving us the strength of our hands He's giving us the clarity and discernment of our minds to to work these things out He's guiding our paths He's He's making even our enemies be at peace with us when we walk with Him Amen. And the destination is the West, never forsaking the East. So we have this to dispel our doubts and fears. The prophet certainly reminds us that we are not to forsake God, that he alone is. There are no other gods, brothers and sisters. There's no other source. There's no other source. Of liberty, life, happiness. There's no other source of justice. If God doesn't tell us what justice is, how would we know? How would we know? When men create for themselves their own justice, it'll be nothing but cruel mercy. And that's what Scripture calls the mercy of the tyrants. Cruel. It's not the gods of this age that are going to deliver us. The God of education, where is He? Where is she? Huh? Are we going to educate our way out of this problem? Where's the God of money? We're going to buy our way out of this problem? Are we going to dish out enough money to pacify everybody? And just be at peace? Are we going to be able to buy our peace brothers? No! No! There's nothing you can do to appease the false gods of this world when you're their enemy. And the gods of this age, brothers and sisters, are cruel, cruel tyrants. To dispel this fear, the discouragement, the doubt during these times, we must remind ourselves who is the true source of all life, liberty, and peace, and prosperity. Our God is everlasting, the prophet says. Secondly, the prophet brings up our protection. Look at verse 12 again. He says, O oh Lord, my God, my holy one, we will not die. Only God, the Lord, Jehovah, or Jehovah, or El Elohim. The God of power, He's the God who protects us. He's the one who is watching over us. He's the one who guards our homes at night, keeps your foot from stumbling. We all know locks only go so far with criminals. If somebody's determined to harm you, I promise you, they're going to harm you if they're determined. And only God can protect you. Why? Because God frustrates them. God causes them to fall in the pit that they dug for you. He causes them to get tangled up in the net they spread for you. And then he causes them to fight among themselves. Because there is no honor among thieves. God God frustrates the the mind, the heart, and the plans of the wicked. The wicked are are resentful, bitter people. The wicked, what? Never rest, the scripture says. We will not die, the prophet says. Now, that doesn't mean that there were not going to be some of God's people experience physical death. During this invasion. But he's talking about... The over he's talking about the eradication of the church. No, the church is not going to... I don't care. Look, you think the mob is going to do away with the true, the remnant of God? No, sir. And you know why? We stood. Hey, look, God's church stood the test of time, not by our own strength and power, but by His power. The church has been here a long time. Church ain't going anywhere. And I'm going to tell you, as, as verse 11 already says out, you put your hand on God's bride... You're going to get the rod. It's just a matter of time. And you should find, look, you and I should have comfort in this knowing. Because I feel helpless sometimes, don't you, brother? You feel helpless, young guys. Y'all thinking back here, oh, I'm strong, I'm young, oh, I can do this. No, you can't. No, you can't. You need God. God's the one that fights the battles. God is the one that comes and He seizes the day. He's the one that takes the beaches. He's the one that knows where everything is. He knows how to send those bombs and hit those targets and hit the right places and get the right people. He knows what He's doing. And He's a great warrior. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation 19. I know there's a lot of talk often about Jesus being, you know, we the long wavy haired Jesus walking with a lamb on his shoulders and, and, you know, meek and mild. And, you know, well, I'm, this is, listen to what Scripture gives a description of Jesus Christ in accord with those who hate him and want to rail against him and fight against him and destroy his people. 1911. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried out in a loud voice and he said to all the birds which fly in heaven, come assemble for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and both free men and slaves and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized and with him the false prophet and performed signs. And in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which came from his mouth. And of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And I was his Brothers and sisters, that's the picture of a victorious Christ coming to wage war. With those who hate him. And he will win. Now we need to understand this. The battles that rage around us. Are spiritual battles. The apostle Paul taught us this. When he said listen. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against principalities. Powers and rulers that are, you know, of this age. Calvin said this. About that. In his commentary on Habakkuk. He said Satan loves to make. Men are... Let me paraphrase it this way. Satan loves to convince men that they can rail against God and win. And then he says, insane. Insane. Men can... Look, they convince that they can rail against true justice and win. That they can... Because you know what's going to come back on them? Hey, the mob always devours itself. The mob will always devour itself. If you're going to throw out justice, that means when it comes your turn, you won't get justice either. That's why we ought to stand up for justice. True justice. Because none of us want to be the victims of injustice. Right? Right? Calvin says that when men or groups of men or mobs of men think that they can rise up against God shake off His ethics and fight against Him and win is insane. Insanity. Are we not witnessing insanity? We are witnessing insanity. Absurdities. And it's being applauded by the mass media and celebrities. Insanity has become the new norm, absurdity has become the new normal. And we should never accept that. God's protection. Brothers and sisters, I think about, I mean, Deuteronomy 8. You can think of all these other passages of Scripture. Psalm 2. The nation's raging against Christ, against the Lord's anointed. And we know that if they don't kiss his cheek, we know what the result's going to be. Subjection. His foot on the back of their neck. That's what's going to happen. So there's provision. Don't be afraid. The Lord will take care of you. That's a promise. Secondly, protection. that's a promise. The Lord is going to take care of you. Now that doesn't mean you're not going to suffer physical harm. What it means is the Lord's going to preserve His church, and we ought to be glad with that. We ought to be thankful for that. I mean, none of us want to suffer. But if we know we have a higher purpose, sure makes it easier. That if my life, listen, how many of your lives are worth the lord's glory I, the lord's glory listen is is my income more is worth more than God's glory his name? is it my life, is it my family what what is it? That we are not willing to give up and that is sacrifice. That is we're going to hold true to the truth no matter what the repercussions may be. Because God's glory is worth more than any of these things. And until we have that mindset, brothers and sisters, we're going to get spanking. We're going to get a spanking. Because the Lord's going to teach us how glorious he really is. Because he's going to withdraw his graces and he's going to say, have at it. And you're going to see just how good I am. Because I'll turn you over to the mobs. And the whole time, I've been begging you to listen. Begging you to conform. Begging you to worship me in spirit and truth. Begging you to walk in my path, Thirdly, preservation. Now, I chose three Ps to help you remember this message this morning. Provision. Protection and perseverance. Listen, I'm going to read to you from chapter 17. I've I've tried to do this, be more faithful, is to bring up the confession of faith because you have one and you ought to be reading it. But uh, I'm going to read to you the last paragraph on chapter 17 on the perseverance of the saints. Chapter 17, uh, paragraph 3, listen to these words. Nevertheless, they, that is, the righteous, the, the faithful, they may, through the temptations of Satan and the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them and the neglect of the means of their preservation fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein whereby they incur God's displeasure. Listen. Incur God's displeasure. <laughs> grieve His Holy Spirit. Come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts. Wow, that's what sin does. Takes those things away. Have their hearts hardened, their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others. And bring temporal judgments upon themselves. That's the righteous. See, we got to be on guard, brothers and sisters, the gods of this age. Because if not, you know what we're going to end up doing? We're going to bow a knee to the gods of this world and not the God of glory. You're going to take a knee and it won't be to the God of glory. It's going to be to the God of this age. The Lord's our perseverer. Listen, listen. All right, That's a negative. I'm going to read a positive. I don't want to end on a negative. Listen to this. This is paragraph one. Or paragraph 2. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ. Now what I mean by that is this. Even though we sin, God doesn't love us less. He's not like we are. You know what I'm saying? He's not like we are. Sometimes we love people better days than others. God's not like that. His love is always perfect every day. And your perseverance won't be... That is, you won't get to heaven and go, I did it. I got here by the skin of my teeth, but I did it. No, sir. When you get to heaven, you're going to go, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Because your love never waxed nor waned cold. Your love remained solid and strong. And you held on to me with the bonds of love. And in Christ, you persevered me to the end. Christ is my rock and my salvation. He's the strong foundation that I have been set upon. Who set me on the rock? Who set you on the rock? You didn't put yourself there. God put you there. And he kept you there. And that's what the prophet goes on to say. Does he not? We will not die. You, O oh Lord, have appointed them to judge. And you, O oh Rock, have established them to correct. God is our perseverer, And how is God going to persevere his church? Well, first of all, he's going to teach you some lessons. Because you know how you persevere? you got to learn. you got to educate yourself. And God's going, I'm about to educate you. I'm about to show you some things you're not going to like. But you know what? You didn't listen on this side, but you're going to listen on this side. Brothers and sisters, we are being persevered by the chastening rod of God. He's persevering. Because you know what? Listen, what if you're allowed to just roll down the tides of cold worship? What if you're allowed to continue in having lip service, but your heart not not in it? What if God just allows you to continue in your lackadaisical spirituality? You won't make it. But when God brings that fierce teacher called the mob, called the Chaldeans, called the Babylonians, called anything, whatever it is, He says, I'm now going to teach you. And this lesson is going to preserve you because I'm going to teach you to long for me. I'm going to teach you to hate sin. I'm going to teach you to hate violence. I'm going to teach you to hate injustice. I'm going to teach you to hate prejudice. I'm going to teach you to hate hatred. And I'm going to teach you to love righteousness. I'm going to teach you to love holiness. I'm going to teach you to love justice. And I'm going to teach you to love all men. You know what's interesting to me? And I know I've gone too long. We are making a bunch of to do about nothing. One look, there's several things that they had nothing to do with. One of them is the color of your skin. Did you order that when you were born? Did you order your family? Did you order your mom and daddy? Did you order your tribe? Did you order your country? Those things that we had nothing to do with, men are railing about. Does that not sound arrogant? The, one, the, the, the things that you had nothing to say about. And yet, yet we are standing back. And, and look, we're supposed to demone the color of our skin, and we're supposed to demone our tribe, we're supposed to bemoan our church, we're supposed to, to bow to the mob. That's slapping God in the face. Because you know what? God made each and every one of us special in his sight. All men and women are made in the image of God. God gave us our family. God gave us our place in life. God gave us who, what, what, gender. God gave it to you. Show some thanks. Show some thanks. I think, I think all of us ought to be thankful for what we are, who we are, and we ought to be thinking, how do I glorify God with it? Amen? Amen? Amen. See, that's the message nobody's talking about. Nobody's talking like that because they don't realize this is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual warfare. The Lord has appointed them to judge. You, O Rock have established them to correct. Let's pray.